atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got a bu- it's been a real busy week, an exciting week. Both presidents were down on, uh, obviously, the border yesterday. We're also following this story. Fonnie Willis is going to be back in a court. At least her case will be in front of that judge. He's got to decide just to punt on her. Andrew McCarthy is standing by. And Monica uh, Bicoswate uh, is joining us, former chief global engagement officer uh, for an institute uh, the, for the German Marshall Fund and currently public policy director at the K. Uh, Elements Group, and she wants to talk about, uh, and I want to get to her insight on the Navalny funeral yesterday, what's going on inside Russia, and their expansion inside Moldova, and they're rattling the cages of the Baltic states. Besides that, Ukraine really doesn't involve us, correct? I'm being sarcastic. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Anyone else that maybe we haven't heard? Well, you know, it's very funny. I was talking about Tim Scott. You guys negotiated. He was not. Tim, Tim for himself, he was fine. He did okay. I mean, he was okay as a candidate. But he didn't want to talk about himself. You know, he's a very good man. All right. Uh, that was him yesterday talking about Tim Scott and other vice presidential candidates. Meanwhile, uh, the Trump trials, his legal team give a green light to a July documents case start, maybe a, an August one. While the Georgia juvenile soap opera is back front and center with new text messages showing that Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade are flat out lying. Number one. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing policy issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, Join me. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. The border battle gets personal for President Biden and Trump. And so far, it's clear when it comes to the Titanic topic, Trump is on top. What took place yesterday and how Joe put our entire nation in the crosshairs when he now wants to work with Trump to fix it. And for me, that's not effective. Andy McCarthy joins us now. Uh, Andy, welcome back. Brian, great to be with you. Uh, uh, first off, uh, I want to bring you to what you wrote about. Truth Social, we saw evidently in its parent company, is being sold and it's been green-lighted. And Truth Social has been, a, I guess, uh, looked at as something, especially if the president becomes president, as something extremely valuable. It could bring in value anyway, President Trump, about $4 billion? Well, we'll have to see. I mean, that, that sounds very high to me, um, but... That's what some of the estimates say. So it's at least between three and four million if they can pull it off. But it's important to know, Brian, that um, I think this idea started, you know, the the thing that became Truth Social, the the framework for it, which I think is called the Trump Media and Technology Company. I think uh, going back to around uh, 2021, they've tried to merge with this uh, digital acquisition company, which is what is known in the securities laws as a SPAC. Uh, it's kind of like a special purpose acquisition company. It's, it's kind of a vehicle to merge with something so you can get on the public market. They've mm-hmm. tried to merge a number of times since 2021, and each time they've postponed it because they didn't have the votes. Now, it looks now like the SEC has said they could go forward. So there was hope that on March 22nd, which is the next day, uh, that they're supposed to vote on the merger, that it might go through. But it looks like there's, uh, you know, uh, there's going to 
be litigation over it. Because he's got some partners who say that they've been deprived of their stake in it? Yeah, the, the two guys who were, like, in the ground floor of, like, developing the idea um, and who did a lot of the work to get the thing up and running, uh, they say basically that the, that the Trump family pushed them out and they think they're entitled to seats on the board and compensation for the stuff that they did to get the, the project up and rolling. I don't have a yeah. I don't I don't have a view on, you know, whether they're right or they're wrong. I don't I don't know enough about it, but that is what the dispute is. And it could be, Brian, that they know Trump is being squeezed in the New York case and in the Eugene Carroll case that he's got to post this money and maybe it, maybe they figure this is a good time to threaten litigation in order to get paid off and run away because they're under a lot of uh, Trump's under a lot of pressure right now financially. Well, uh, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, that's just something that could be worked out, and it just should be a win yeah. for everybody. Uh, and especially if you think about the value of Truth Social, if that's what the president becomes president again, and he's going to use that to communicate like he did with Twitter, uh, the value would go through the roof, become a global entity, uh, potentially, if managed correctly. Andy, let's talk yeah, about what – go ahead. Your thought on that before we move on? I, no, I was agreeing with you. That's what, they're, that's what they hope. So I want to talk about what's happening today in the Georgia case. You know, these, uh, it's pretty amazing that these, uh, these text messages have emerged uh, that, that show that, according to the business partner, uh, Terrence Bradley, that he says that relationship in a communication with Ashley Merchant said the relationship started in 2019. And even though he's on the stand saying he doesn't remember anything, these text messages revealed to Megyn Kelly's show, he was writing her back and forth saying how early this started. How significant is it, and what role will this, these text messages play in what the judge's decision makes? I think the thing there, Brian, is the underlying basis for him to know. Now, as I understand it from the judge's ruling, um, he said that he got that information, that is, Bradley got the information from Wade himself. And the big issue prior to Wade's last round of testimony was whether he was protected by the attorney-client privilege from saying that because he was at some point uh, Wade's lawyer. So the reason I point that out is, you know, if someone says X and Y are having an affair and you ask them, how did they know that? How do you know that? And they say, because I read it in People magazine. Who cares? But if you ask them how they know that and they say, well, because the guy in the relationship told me, then that's that's a big deal, right? Um, So it looks to me like it's a big deal. Uh, so it says, uh, some of the exchange, it says, uh, Bradley to Ashley Merchant, you and I are friends. I trust you. Uh, they're, they're arrogant, meaning the couple. They're arrogant as F. You know what that word used means. She thinks she won the other day when she was deposed, when she said she didn't have to be deposed. So, and that, that win, Nathan can admit it. Uh, Nathan can admit it. All of the, uh, all of the 31, um, it doesn't, uh, then Thompson will make, uh, I can't even read what I wrote here. Um, so basically he admits that basically gave Nathan uh, a, ca- uh, a cancer cover to protect and build up um, uh, that Fanny will sit and whatever. He writes this. Bradley writes, here's the question. Do you think the affair started when she was hired, hired him? Ashley asked. Bradley came back. Absolutely. It started when she was left. She was the left the DA's office and was judge in South Fulton. Bradley said they met at the municipal court. And Ashley said, that is what I figured 
when she was married. He says, is this accurate? If, 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 when she was married, the question mark. If this is accurate, uh, Ashley said, upon the information and Willis uh, and Wade met while both were serving as magistrates and judges, they began a romantic relationship, and then he confirmed it. When this was read to him in court, he said, dang. So, I mean, if you're a judge, you're just going to have to make a judgment on this. I mean, how could you possibly think these guys can do this case? Well, I, yeah, I think that, um, you know, if you're Judge McAfee, who's the presiding judge there, this testimony by Bradley and these text messages don't come in a, ba- a vacuum, right? They've had other testimony in the hearing. Including the best friend. The re- right, that takes the relationship back to, like, 2019. And I, the thing I keep trying to stress about this, Brian, is this is not a criminal case. This, you know, it, it comes up in the context of a criminal case. But this matter about whether she should be disqualified or not, you don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they were having an affair. The standard here is, does her continued participation and her ethical problems that are obvious, does that create an appearance of impropriety that could compromise public, the public legitimacy of the proceedings? So it's a much lesser standard, and the judge has – you know, goo gobs of discretion in this. He's never going to be reversed by an appellate court for um, basically saying that, you know, her ethical problems are such that she should be disqualified. And I would I would just point out, she's already been disqualified with respect to one defendant in this proceeding on something that I think is even is much less um, troublesome than what we're talking about. She held a fundraiser for the Democratic opponent of one of the defendants, Republicans, that she's prosecuting in the case. And the court held that she couldn't prosecute him because because of her, uh, you know, ethical problem. So this, to me, is much worse than what she's already been disqualified. How how about the fact that the judge gave – how about the judge? I think it's Bacardi. Uh, How come the fact that he gave $150 to Willis's campaign? So that's even bizarre. (laughs) So, so, so yeah. in the big picture, there's people listening to this say, okay, these people have screwed up and they have no ethics and uh, they shouldn't be taken seriously. They're listening to this. But the bottom line is, what does it mean for the former president? And I think the 17 others, does someone take over this case? And how could you possibly ramp up on this quickly? Yeah, I think if the case gets taken away from them, not only Willis, but her whole office, then I think it would go to – it'll be very interesting. I think it then goes to the state attorney general's office, and the state attorney general in Georgia is a Republican. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I also think, Brian, you know, for all the, for all the uh, attention that the salacious details have gotten, the problem with the Fulton County case has always been the case itself. It's not a RICO. It's not an enormous conspiracy case. She way overcharged it. It now looks like she probably overcharged it because that way they got to keep this gravy train running for a few years where he's been paid, you know, some phenomenal amount of money. And that would have gone on for a couple of more years. Um, But I I think another prosecutor with fresh eyes and not an axe to grind against Trump could look at this and say, as I've been saying from the beginning, there may have been a few little crimes committed here and it'd be perfectly fine to prosecute those. But these 19 people, the only thing they ever did together was get indicted. This was not an organization. It was not a big conspiracy. It's not the mob. Um, Yeah, yeah, look, she's taken four pleas, right? Nobody has pled guilty to RICO. 
and nobody has even pled guilty to a serious crime. Not a single person of the four who've pled guilty so far is going to do one hour in jail. Yeah, Jenna Ellis had to apologize or something. But I want to move on. I want to get to two more cases. First on the immunity case, uh, people are going crazy that this immunity case is being looked at by the Supreme Court. Um, here is Naoma Rami uh, on Fox News. Cut 26. Even if Trump doesn't win on substantive grounds, that April 26, 22nd week where the oral arguments happen means it's going to push out to the end of the Supreme Court's term, right. which means that that stays in place in Washington, D.C., even if Judge Chutkin lifts it immediately after the ruling comes down. We're well into election season, and likely that trial won't happen until after the November general election. Do you agree with that? No, not yet. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of elements of that missing. One is that they can freak out all they want over the immunity. The big problem they have is the court was also going to rule on the obstruction, which might actually dismantle some of uh, some of the case. But as a result of the court ruling on having a rule on the obstruction, this case was not going to be tried at least until the midsummer whether or not there was an immunity issue. So all of this, you know, complaining is a lot of theater. Plus, yesterday, Smith suggested a July 8th trial date in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. So even he is not on, you know, the page that this case was going to go in the early summer. I think what they're planning to do, Brian, and I say this, mindful that a defendant has to be in court every day of his trial, I think he, what Smith would like to do now is try to push the Mar-a-Lago documents case into mid-July and then hope that he can do the election interference case in September. And that way, Trump would be chained to a courtroom for the last four months of the campaign. So how could he do that? Because isn't there this unsaid rule that if it's close to election, it's interference and we shouldn't go through with it? Yeah, well, the word that uh, the important one in what you just said is unsaid. There's no there's no written rule. There never has been uh, that the Justice Department can't take action prior to an election. It's kind of a prudential, unwritten rule that like within the last two months before an election, you shouldn't do things as uh, a Justice Department that could influence the outcome of the election. But obviously, They've thrown out a lot. They've thrown out written rules in connection with their their uh, determination to get Trump. So I don't think they're going to be uh, they're going to be much held up by an unwritten rule. Is it true that the Trump people are not pushing back against doing the documents case? They were offered Octo- uh, August twelfth. Yeah, well, they but their preliminary, you know, their fundamental position is that the case should be put over to after the election. And I think what Judge Cannon said to them was, yeah, I I understand that. I got that. And we'll think about that. But in the meantime, if the case had to be before the election, what do you suggest? And they laid out a pretty detailed schedule. Um, I would just caution people. I said at the beginning, I didn't think there was any way this case could get to trial prior to the election. And it's not over the politics of it. It's the Classified Information Procedures Act. It makes it very hard to get a case to trial. Uh, because you have pretrial appeals and you have to litigate all the admissibility issues with respect to classified intelligence. So even when you're trying hard to get a case like that to trial, it's just very hard to do. And and in layman's terms, for example, if if I'm one of your junior officers and I'm working for Andy McCarthy's office, I'm going to have to look through so those millions of documents and I need the highest security clearance possible. That takes time. And you need an army of people on both sides. And then you got to decide what documents are eligible. If 
But we only got right. a minute left, but just your thoughts? Yeah, I, look, it's even more complicated than that because some of this stuff is the highest classification documents there there is. So some of it, they're trying to force them to go to Washington to look at it because they're saying it shouldn't even be moved out of Washington. Wow. Uh, Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 Now We also have the Hunter Biden investigation to look into, the border battle to examine, and then we're going to talk about what just happened with that uh, very emotional funeral, Alexei Navalny over in Russia. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. My personal point of view is that it's a fantasy and it's an effort to engage in what I call drive-by politics. What people have to do is, whether they're analyzing Donald Trump or Joe Biden, analyze the record. How about the Central Park Five, Donald? How about the fact that you had the least diverse administration in modern American history? How about the fact that uh, you literally did nothing to engage African-Americans and Latinos other than condemnation uh, during your years as president. So people, I encourage people when they evaluate who they're going to vote for to look at the totality of someone's record, Mm -hmm. not a piece of rhetoric, Mm -hmm. not a statement in isolation. Well, um, that's interesting because I thought he gave record amounts to H uh, historically black colleges. I believe I remember seeing that. I also remember him doing something, believe it or not, a criminal justice reform that even angered a lot of the right of his base and said you shouldn't have been doing it. And that was led by Josh, uh, by Jared Kushner. So I think those two things right off the top of my head are wrong, uh, as well as putting the HHS secretary, uh, Ben Carson, in a prominent spot, also as a leading brain surgeon. Uh, I, I, I think that his record is great in terms of black unemployment and the black wages, too. I think President uh, Trump should actually welcome that conversation. We'll see. I think Tim Scott's the leading to be the vice president's candidate, too. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back right now. Election Navalny was... Uh, well, I had his funeral today. Uh, some people showed up, very brave people. Uh, for him, they know they're going to be targeted if they do, in fact, show up. A lot of uh, funeral homes, uh, hearses, did not want to take his body. Not that they don't respect who he is, but they know Vladimir Putin killed him for all intents and purposes, tortured him prior. And they believe that that was the one person that they, he feared 
Navalny was the one who was flying drones overneath his compounds and showed how corrupt all these leaders are, taking money from their people. Uh, joining us now is, is Monica uh, Alanui. Uh, Monica is uh, got a great title, real perspective on this, former global policy engagement officer at uh, the Legatum Institute and researcher at the German Marshall Fund and con- uh, General Marshall Fund and the, currently the public policy director at K Elements Group. Monica, welcome. Thank you so much for having me today, Brian. What's the significance of the Navalny, uh, Navalny funeral today? So the funeral is definitely significant because it shows how many people are still supporting the cause of the Russian opposition. We saw thousands of people join in person. As you said, they were scared of the fact that, of course, they can be prosecuted, they can be arrested. Um, but they still joined and they still chanted things like Russia will be free and that Putin is a murderer. And on the other hand, we also had a lot of people join online. We had more than 250,000 people join online. We had international media cover the funeral as well. So it just keeps uh, the hope of Russian opposition alive because, you know, when Navalny was killed, it was definitely a blow to the Russian opposition, to the opposition to dictatorships around the world, um, because he did symbolize this fight against Putin, and he was an important player um, in the Russian regime. But he feels emboldened right now. He's able to survive in Ukraine, put up with the sanctions. His economy's gone to a solid military economy, so it's growing at a decent rate. He doesn't care about the welfare of his people or getting reelected. And then to kill his number one antagonist, while the world is meeting at Munich, what does that tell you about his mindset? Yeah, so as you mentioned, definitely Putin is extremely emboldened right now. He is seeing every advance in Ukraine as a victory for himself. And uh, we know that uh, if we do not stop him in Ukraine, he will go after other countries next. Because we have seen in the past how he took 30% of Georgia, he took Crimea, then he invaded Ukraine in this full-scale war. So what it tells about um, his stance is that if we do not stop him, he will continue. And this will be Putin 3.0. It's his new term. Um, he will be reelected as president. We know that the election will not be fair. It will not be democratic election. So we know that his rule is going to continue. And we have to think about what's going to happen next. If we do not stop him now, where will he go? What will he do? It's really important for the best to be realistic as well. Um, because, you know, there are some people discussing that um, Russia will be after Putin maybe different, maybe it will be better. But we have to remember that um, it is not the type of regime where another person can be just elected. It will be somebody from the same circle, somebody who is around Putin right now. And these people are not better. They can be even harsher and they can, you know, be even worse and become even um, more brutal than Putin is right now. So we have to think from this perspective that and this emboldenment, it pertains to the whole regime and to the future of Russia in many years to come. So you say and it's time to for not only yeah. freeze his assets, but cash in his assets and get all that money to Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how yeah. much money are we talking about right now? I believe David Cameron, the new foreign minister of the U.K., agrees with you. I, I do think so as well. And we're talking about $300 billion in frozen assets that right now are just sitting there without uh, being used. And to rebuild Ukraine, the World Bank estimates that we need more than $400 billion. And so this $300 billion would be a very good starting point. And in that way, we can use Russia's money to, you know, have have it as reparations and to rebuild Ukraine and strengthen the country. So I think this is extremely important, especially in the context of knowing that other sanctions have not worked, individual sanctions have not worked, and Russia still sells oil around the world. 
And even last year, in the final part of 2023, we saw that Russia earned 11.3 billion in oil sales, even if we have these sanctions. So they bypassed the sanctions, and uh, the oil is still re even reaching Europe dresses than Indian because it comes from India, right? They're just reselling the same oil to us. So we have to use other measures and target the borders, which is these frozen assets that are really important to Putin, and he does not want to lose. So, I mean, this is if you give Ukrainians the weapons they need, they'll be successful. They're better fighters, they're more organized, and we got better equipment. In Moldova, they'll already so-called have two provinces reaching out, uh, reaching out to Russia to help them provide security and break away from Moldova. They, evidently, there's German, the Germans have reported that they've infiltrated into two of the Baltic nations. So, I mean, what are we waiting for? This the script is out there. They're basically telling you exactly what they do. They pretend they're sympathetic Russian speakers in these various countries, and they have to go in and provide them protection, and then they just take the country. Exactly. You're exactly right, and it's what has happened before. And we, keep, we will keep seeing that as long as we do not support Ukraine fully. And you know that right now, U.S. is an extremely important player in this as well, and that a huge $6 billion aid package to Ukraine is stuck right now in the Congress, and we must make sure that this goes through and that Ukraine has funding. Because, as I said, if Ukraine has weapons, it has a fighting chance. Without weapons, we know what will happen. Russia will advance, and then this war will extend to other countries. It might even extend to NATO. So right now, it's really that, the time for us and for the U.S. to act and take these decisive decisions. And we saw in this time period, when the bill has stalled, that Russia has made advances and captured really important cities, such as uh, Avdivka, which is a gateway to Donetsk, which is, as you know, is a really strategic place in the war. So every day that the bill is not passed, every day that we do not give Ukraine funding and weapons, we'll see more and more Russian advances. So you're absolutely right. We, we know that history is repeating itself, and we are not doing anything, it seems. So we have to really progress, and we have to make these really important decisions right now. Right. Uh, Navalny really, I think his death uh, really resonated with a lot of people. And I think uh, Lavrov came out and said, why is uh, the West freaking out and overreacting to his death? Well, are they really surprised? Uh, so, uh, you know, surprise would be a really strong word. I don't think that the West is surprised. We know the playbook of Russia and of other dictators. We know that they have tried to kill Navalny before and have killed many other um, political opponents. We know that there have been a lot of poisonings, even on European soil. We had poisonings of Karamurza, Litvinenko, Skripal, and many others. So, no, that, that does not come as a surprise, but it does show how far Putin is willing to go. Because we do know that, for example, if we have a lot of coverage um, on these political opponents, if we keep them in our memory, we keep them, you know, alive, because then a lot of times these defeaters are afraid to kill them. But we see that Putin was not, and he did that. So that is a really, really strong signal for us right now that we have to act because he will not be stopped otherwise if we do not stop him in Ukraine. Uh, I 100% agree. Monica, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, give us some insight on something going on right now. We watched this morning, covered on Fox and Friends, it just finished up. Thousands show up to uh, to give tribute to Alexei Navalny, who was killed in prison at the, one of the worst prisons in the world, was sawed healthy within 24 hours. He was dead. Some people say poisoned. Other people say um, he was tortured. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Also go over what uh, some highlights from Hunter Biden's 200-page transcript that was released yesterday at about 5.45 Eastern time. 
A lot of people say, okay, this is over. He didn't admit that his dad took money. But I have a different take, and I'll show you why. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We get a lot of information from the witness and don't hear a lot of the grandstanding from the members who are questioning them, which is desirable, in part because they give Joe, uh, Hunter Biden quite a lot of rope to hang himself with. He says in this, uh, in part of this transcript, in part uh, that uh, Jim, Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother, when they were talking about involving Joe Biden, it was entirely aspirational. Wouldn't it be nice if we had the president involved in this thing? But nah, it'll never happen. That that uh, conflicts rather significantly with previous testimony that he had been given and other evidence that we have of Joe Biden's involvement in the repayment of these, these loans from which he received 10 percent of this, uh, this remuneration. And he was, in fact, the big guy. That information came out when we were talking about these strong-arming texts, which Hunter Biden, A, says he sent to the wrong Zhao. It was, it was meant for a different Zhao, and that mistake was made because he was under the influence of either drugs or alcohol. These are said in defense of his own conduct, incriminating his, himself and demonstrating that he's not a reliable witness, which makes it almost inevitable that he will have to testify in public, that he will have to expose himself to these very political well, uh, showy uh, hearings. So what he's referring to from the National Review is the fact that the, the Hunter Biden testimony was released yesterday, 200-plus pages, and he wrote a text message, this guy Yi Ming from uh, CFEC, uh, and CFEC, and that is the energy company affiliated with the Chinese government, which I may think makes it worse. That no one emphasized. Do you know what the CFC was created for? It was created for the Belt and Road Program that was created to undermine American influence in these developing nations. So this was an energy company out there to do cheap energy and take these countries, in my view, natural resources. And they're investing in these companies. So Hunter Biden says, well, I text messaged the wrong person and I was drunk and or high. Really? There's not one bad punctuation. There's not one misspelling in it. I was talking to Sid Rosenberg this morning and he say, he tells everybody I was addicted. He had major addiction problems. Drunk and high. He says his wife used to tell him that uh, he used to tease to text his wife while on these substances. And she used to show him back when he got sober and says there was basically two or three words, words spelled right. If you are drunk and high, you are not writing a Chinese official and not making a mistake with any of the punctuation and any of the spelling. And that's what this guy claims happened. So he writes him and he says, my dad is, I'll just paraphrase, my dad is sitting next to me. We are not happy. The Bidens don't forget things. And for now on, I want you to contact me directly. So when asked, was your dad sitting there? He says, of course not. I'm embarrassed by this. Well, the problem is you got millions of dollars after referring to your dad being next to you. And if you want to say your dad was just concerned about your welfare, and that's why 20 separate times he appeared in person or called on speakerphone into these meetings because they always promised each other after the childhood trauma that they went through, and it was traumatic to lose your mom and your sister, no one doubts that, that they'll always pick up the phone. How is that possible? You're the vice president of the United States. You're chairman of foreign relations around the globe. 
believe me, there are times you cannot pick up the phone unless you want your dad to call into that phone. Now, if you're Jamie Raskin, a Democrat, you'll go, oh, this poor guy, he's got addictions. We all have addictions and tragedy early in his life. And that's why the family cares so much about each other. It just so happens that timing has him showing up at these meetings in person and calling into them around the globe. He also says he's uniquely qualified to do these Corporate malfeasance deals. Really? Because you were in a major law firm and were served on the Amtrak board, which, by the way, why? Because your dad was on the train a lot? That's how you got the Amtrak board? Because David Boyce, obviously, rec- uh, is uh, that's part of his law firm. He's a Democratic attorney who represented Al Gore with the election mess in 2000. Obviously, a Biden son graduates law school. He'll probably be able to go there and probably be welcome with open arms. It doesn't mean he is qualified. So... He says, I just called into these meetings, but they show him the text messages of the big guy. Okay. Text message to the big guy. He says, that doesn't refer to my dad. He goes, well, Rob Walker says it did. Rob Gillar, Rob Gillar says it did. He goes, he has no business writing that. We already had four partners. They're the only ones who got paid through that. I have no idea why I wrote that. Well, Tony Bobolinsky said the same thing. He's the big guy. Tony Bobolinsky produced a text that said, whatever you do, Never bring up the president's, uh, the the vice president in any of these communications. I know I'm paranoid. And then Bobolinsky, I believe, wrote back, you have a right to be. Interesting. So by asking Hunter to go public now is fascinating because they're saying, I heard what you said. And now I think we're ready to go public. Really? I thought I exonerated myself. No, no, you can think all you want. But I think that we should go public. And why would that be important? Just for non-legal view, because Tony Bobolinsky comes out and talks in detail how he was recruited into that family to work these deals. He talks about in detail his communications, provides text messages, and even talks about various places in which they were doing business, some of which they cut him out of without him knowing. So think about this. You're doing international business deals, trading on your dad's name, in my view, and cutting out the business partner that helped set you up. So no values, no ethics, and no patriotism all in one. Francie Hakes joined me earlier. She's a, pro, uh, a very well-known and respected prosecuting attorney. She said this about the 200 pages. Poor pitiful hunter. You know, Brian, as a prosecutor, what I look at is what could I prove to a jury here, given all the facts that we know? And first, what I know is that the opening arguments, if you will, from the Biden administration was always he had nothing to do with it. He didn't meet any of these people. He never spoke to any of these people. And what happened yesterday in, in Congress was that Hunter Biden confirmed that his dad did, in fact, call in to business meetings and met these business associates. What grown man has his dad calling in during multi-million dollar business deals and puts him on speakerphone? There's only one reason to do it. And it's not because you love your dad or because you're a drug addict. It's because you're showing off. You're showing access to your father, who's the vice president of the United States. And that is the brand. It's the Biden brand. And that's what Hunter was selling. And I think that's what what was confirmed yesterday in his testimony. So those people that want to say this is done, it's finished, it's through. You're not looking at this. If it was Don Jr. sitting there saying I was drunk and I was high and I don't remember saying my dad was sitting next to me and he wasn't and I'm embarrassed by it, would anybody buy it? Can you see John Brennan, the CIA director, saying, "Okay, that sounds like a great cover story to me. Now, what is the point of this? The point, in my view, even though Comer probably won't say it, 
The point, in my view, is not to impeach President Biden. He's got a year left, and hopefully that is all. He's got a year left, and they don't have the votes in the Senate. Even if they found checks going to Joe Biden's account, there's not one Democrat outside John Fetterman that would vote for his impeachment. I don't think even uh, John Fetterman would do it because Joe Biden's been nice to him. So that's not the point. If you are going to call Donald Trump corrupt, indict him 91 times on four, uh, 91 charges on four separate indictments, including two civil cases drummed out of nowhere by left wing uh, funders like George Soros. And then say, well, he's honest, Joe, lunch bucket guy, Mr. Blue Collar, riding the train. Well, that's a different case. It's time to expose Joe Biden for flatting out looking into the camera during those debates and saying, I never knew anything about my son's overseas business dealings and say that's a lie. I've never took part in any of it. That's a lie. My son never did anything wrong. We saw the laptop. That's a lie. He looked into the camera. And when he said 51 intellect, uh, 57 intel experts said that this laptop isn't real, he knew it was his son's laptop. On the cover of the laptop was a sticker that said the Bo Biden Foundation. Now, that could have put there as a prop. But think about that. You looked into the camera and you lied about your younger son's laptop with your older son who died of brain cancer, tragically, sticker on the top. But you're going to go with a favor that Jake Sullivan, sadly, and Anthony Blinken conjured up to get these 51 Intel experts to put their reputation on the line. And because that FBI agent turns out they say to be corrupt has nothing to do with this case. It would have been a nice addition had it been true, but if not... That's a FBI informant. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, home of most illegal immigrants and crazy Venezuelan gangs, as well as uh, a lot of movie theaters and uh, Broadway plays. Uh, it has been a crazy time in America, this week especially, uh, some of the drama that took place uh, as well. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is going to be here at the bottom of the hour telling us where he stands on what took place at the border yesterday, both in Texas. I'm talking about the former president and current president, both with different messages when it comes to the border and how to fix it. And then also here is uh, Patrick Murphy, uh, the congressman from Pennsylvania. He is uh, also a, an Army veteran, and we look forward to talking to him in a moment. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Anyone else that maybe we haven't heard? Well, you know, it's very funny. I was talking about Tim Scott. You guys negotiated. He was not. <laughs> Tim, Tim, for himself, he was fine. He did okay. I mean, he was okay as a candidate. But he didn't want to talk about himself. You know, he's a very good man. Yeah, Tim Scott uh, is a leading pick for VP, no doubt about it. We'll go over the short list for the uh, for Donald Trump when he looks like he's all but sewn up the nomination, especially after Super Tuesday. Uh, he had a big win over in Michigan, too. Also for Joe and the squad, he's got an issue. Uh, for the Republicans, they have an issue, too. And that's abortion. We'll examine. Number two. If you don't have immunity, you can be blackmailed. You can be, as a president, they'll say, if you don't do this, this, and this, we're going to indict you as soon as you leave office. You cannot allow a president to be out there without immunity. 
Uh, that is the president of the United States who found out this week the Supreme Court will hear his immunity case saying the president has to be immune from charges when they're in office or, or affect policy. Trump trials. His legal team seems to give a green light to a July do- documents case saying, OK, if you want it in July, Jack Smith, what if we go August 12th? And I'm thinking to myself, that could be trouble. What's the game plan there? Also, while Georgia's juvenile soap opera is back front and center, as new text messages show, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade are lying and, in my view, killed the case. Number one. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. There you go. The border battle gets personal for Biden and Trump. So far, it's clear when it comes to the titanic topic of Trump uh, at the border, he is on top. What took place yesterday and how Joe got our entire nation in the crosshairs, why he now wants to work with Trump to fix it. And I'm talking about the crime element of it. Patrick Murphy here, the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War vet, former congressman from Pennsylvania, now professor at the University of Pennsylvania. A lot going on. Yeah, a lot going on, Brian. First, when we look at what happened at the border yesterday, the president did not mention crime. Mentioned global warming, interesting, but did not mention crime. Was that a mistake? Uh, yeah, I think people the crime is released legally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people see it. I mean, I think I think people understand that, and they they believe in the rule of law. And the most fundamental, sacred duty of our government is to keep our family safe. Period, Brian. And uh, I think people are upset. I think he went there because he understands that it's a problem. Uh, he, the place where he went, obviously, they have made some improvements, but we need it all on the border. This is. Our national security is at stake here. And I mean, can we agree that we need a barrier? It help, if you ask the Border Patrol, they tell you they want a barrier. Shouldn't that be good enough? Well, the barrier is not going to solve it. I mean, we need but a it's comprehensive part of the, part of the right. it's part, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's part of And especially, Brian, I would say to you, I mean, when you have a case where, like, a, a young woman like Lakin Riley, who was a nursing student at the University of Georgia, uh, who was killed, I, I, I think this puts it front and center with the American people. I, mean, I think about my daughter, Maggie Murphy, who's 17. I think about other young she women. Wants to, is she jogs? she athletic? Yeah, yeah. Can she you imagine had... her jogging right up at the intramural fields at this beautiful University of Georgia and thinking now that all of a sudden this audio is going to come out, she fought for her life, tried to get through to 911? Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I think we have to be as a nation, Democrats, Republicans, focused like a bulldog on a bone. And you're seeing people like Senator John Fetterman, Democrat from, from Pennsylvania, my home state, who said, hey, listen, let's take the things that were good in, in H.R. 2. Uh, you know, I don't agree with all of it. Uh, let's agree. You know, we got to make sure that we keep DACA, he said. But let, let's move this forward. And even if we have to make it a little bit tougher than what we already agreed to in the Senate. But what we can't do is allow both parties just to say, well, it's election year. Let's not do anything. Let's wait another year. We got to act now for the American people. Well, I mean, the House did act, as you mentioned. Here's what John Fetterman said yesterday. He's rapidly becoming my most interesting politician. Uh, cut 19. I am uh, equally uh, incredibly um, troubled by that the Ukraine and the Israeli and the Taiwan aid now is hanging in a balance as, as well, too. And I really am very open to uh, uh, some kind of a grand bargain. To, that we, we, I would like the opportunity to vote on, on a border uh, situation a bill even stronger more than the deal was as well, too. So they bring up H.R. 2, which is extremely tough that the House passed. Cut 20. The Republicans believe that that is their ideal kind of a bill. And now I, re- I analyzed it uh, closely. And the, the one thing that I cannot support is that it uh, effectively 
uh, ends DACA at all. But anything other than that, that all can be on the table for me. And I would like to have that conversation. I think we had to do that. And I'd be opening to opening that as long as that is linked to uh, approving the, the aid for Ukraine and Taiwan and Israel, because we have to stand with our as well, too. So that kind of a grand uh, bargain on, on this as well, too. How encouraging is that? Is that where you would stand? Yeah, I, I look at it like whatever it takes to move this forward and, and get people's, you know, on both sides away from their corners and say, let's let's come together. You know, the Wall Street Journal said, you know, an, an editorial saying Congress can't just punt this because or play politics with this. This is life or death for American families. This is about our national security. And, you know, this whole, you know, basically paralysis from over analysis, this inaction in Congress, whether you're talking about our border, whether you're talking about Ukraine. Uh, I mean, Brian, I thought you did a great job this morning when, when you had General Jack Keane on. And, you know, he was right about, you know, Ronald Reagan would be turning in his grave, is turning in his grave right now as we just sit on the sidelines and not do anything. Right. I mean, and do it, you know, by the way, just this is so important. Congressman, I talked to Jack Keane at the break, too, and I said, what are these Republicans telling you? That they're not giving this aid. He said, well, the extreme are extreme, but I've talked to 90 of them and I've addressed him and I had to take all the questions. Do they agree with you? This is serious. He goes, oh, yeah. So I don't know. We can't wait much longer. Number one, I've got to. This was a great point that was brought up by my earlier guest. Why are we not taking the Russian assets, cashing them in and getting getting the money to the Ukrainians? Yes. Four hundred billion dollars. Yes. So why are we freezing it? Just take it. yeah, I love it. I wrote this down. There's $300 billion in frozen, Russian frozen assets right now, including we're paying – this is what we're paying, the tax, American taxpayers, $600,000 a month, $600,000 a month for this Russian – like this yacht, a super yacht called the Medeus, right? It's like – Sell this. We should be paying for it. Like, right. You know, the apartments in Manhattan, yes. all this material, the uh, the money in the bank accounts. This guy's a, a Vladimir Putin's just taking money from his own people. The other thing is you just got to get weapons to the Ukrainians. F-16s are supposed to come this year, but just get weapons to the Ukrainians to let them fight. Do you know they've already contacted these provinces in Moldova about breaking off? They evidently reached out, these Russian speakers, and said they want protection. Is that the same way it started with Georgia? Exactly. And then all of a sudden they took the Donbass region? Why? Because there's Russian-speaking people don't want to be part of the Ukraine. Really? Crimea. Well, Khrushchev never should have given it away in the 60s. These are all the excuses for the invasion. The old blitzkrieg is not happening, but this is a slow krieg is what we're seeing right, <laughs> right now. Right. And that's why I said what I said about Ronald Reagan rolling his grave. And I will tell you, this is David versus Goliath. And Goliath is the evil empire of the Soviet Union trying to get back together. Uh, and Russia, you know, trying to get those 15 countries back. And the reality of it is, is that... They're going to do it by any means necessary. They've already killed 31,000 Ukrainian people. They're raping their women. They're stealing their children. They're bringing them back They're literally to Literally stealing Russia. their children. Yes, thousands. And so, and I think that's what the American people don't understand. The EU has stepped up, and they've given over $100 billion. Ours has been through $75 billion, which is a lot of money, but it's, it's the arsenal of freedom. It's American manufacturing. We're talking about F-16s. I'm talking about 10,000 Javelins, 2,000 Stinger missiles, 9,000 tow missiles, you know, artillery. And, and the problem is the Ukraine military are actually losing wars because they're battles because they're running out of ammo. Like now is the time to act with sense of urgency. And it's like the silence of the lambs in Washington. And 
they're going to meet their meet their maker someday, Brian, on Judgment Day. And whatever they're doing, playing politics on this, vote yes or no, but vote on this thing. We cannot well, wait another day. Well, just keep in mind, you got people on the left like the the squad that want nothing yeah. to do with Israel aid and right. are speaking out against it, demanding. You have Joe Biden jumping off the Israel train real quick, even though he knows to fight in urban warfare when the terrorists are hiding behind civilians in hospitals and schools. What choice do you have? If bin Laden was there, you thinking you guys wouldn't have won in? I'm sorry, people could die. Well, that's bin Laden's fault. Yeah. You know, that's what he did. So we're seeing this now. They're also looking to hold back Israel from going after Hezbollah. But you have over 100,000 people in Israel forced out of their homes because Hezbollah keeps rocking them. Yeah. So at one point, they're in a war mode. They're going to have to take care of this. They need allies to support them, not to play politics and worry about Michigan. So, by the way, Donald Trump's not going to win any of those voters over. He's more in Israel's camp than Biden is. Why doesn't he realize that? What are they going to vote for, Jill Stein? Yeah, well, uh, listen. Or not vote at all? Yeah, and you had people like Beto O'Rourke who actually said vote uncommitted and and a union in Washington state just voted. And this is the, Brian, the problem is like, can we just remember the adage that politics should stop at the water's edge in America? We should come together as Americans. And I get it. If you're far right or far left, you want to vote against funding of Israel, you want to vote against funding on Ukraine, fine, be it. But guess what? The majority of Americans support this. The majority of Americans understand this is life and death. This is David versus Goliath. This is freedom and freedom-loving countries that are free right now, and, and you have the evil Russians invading them, raping their women, killing them. And by the way, it's not like Russia's. They've lost over 100,000 troops. 300. Yeah. 300,000 casualties. Yes, yes. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where that goes, and we'll see if we can get something together there. First off, the president going to the border yesterday, going, Patrick, it's got to drive you crazy. You know what he says as a candidate, come one, come all. You know that they took great pride in reversing every one of those executive orders. You know that Mayorkas is on camera saying that we over undid all those with great pride in 2021. Uh, he takes great pride, his words, great pride in overturning all the remain in Mexico and everything like that. So now that we have, we're suffering from what they did to say, hey, Donald Trump, how could you not come forward and do this deal to fix what you broke? I mean, that takes a set. Of, uh, that takes a set. Yeah. And what you see, Brian, is a lot of times in American politics, you have a new party come in in power. And whatever the old regime did, they're against it, right? And sometimes it's a mistake. And I think they've realized it. They realized it last summer. They started boarding, you know, they started building more of the wall, but not aggressively enough and not with, you know, and it's not just about a wall. It's about comprehensive. But that's why you're seeing folks like John Fetterman step up and say, we got to come together as Americans. And again, John Fetterman's married to a woman that didn't come here legally, you know, decades ago, his wife. And so when you see that, you, you know, we say, well, listen to this. Yeah, this is we know rhetoric and and extreme. We get these emails every day. The other person's terrible. But yesterday, from the Biden campaign, Donald Trump is weak on border security and is weak on crime. That's why he and his MAGA Republicans went out to kill the toughest, fairest reforms to secure the border in decades. Does anybody, including Donald Trump's worst enemy, believe that he's weak on crime and weak on border security? Well, Remember when he said the federal troops into Seattle and the refund? Remember when he said, I'll offer the National Guard into Chicago? Remember when he called for a crackdown on those protesters in New York City? So those are, you can't criticize him for being tough on crime and then criticize him for not being tough on crime. Yeah, I, well, I think that criticism, in, fa- in fairness, Brian, is the fact that yeah, James Lankford, Senator, Republican, conservative, and Chris Murphy came together 
<coughs> for that for that Senate bill. He wasn't tough. They felt it wasn't tough enough. And I was talking to Langford yeah. the whole way through. It would have definitely improved <laughs> things. They felt it left too much to discretion. It's yeah. the same thing that's hurting Joe Biden's support for this war. It's because he slow-walked all the weapons. He didn't do enough to get Ukraine prepared for the invasion. The way he left Afghanistan gave him these problems. And now money has got to go bail him out. So Republicans are frustrated. And they say, why do I have to write checks for an operation that he's got to supervise? Do you know in Afghanistan he refuses to take the debriefing on everything that went wrong? They're about to finish another report in three weeks, a comprehensive report that they're going to submit to the families who lost their lives, and those 13 families, the ones that were wounded. And it's not clear if the president will sit for the briefing. That's the type of thing is the absence of leadership that makes it tough supporting his overseas operation. Yeah, well, listen, I think he looks at this, Brian, in all due respect to Joe Biden as a commander in chief, not as a politician, honestly. I mean, he's the father of two Well, he's doing a very veterans. bad job. Well, I, and I think that's part, part of the reason One there better. is that he needs to speak to the American people and he needs to get there. I know the State of the Union is next week. I, I said publicly he should have spoke at the Super Bowl, you know, when the president should really address it. He didn't do it last year. It was on Fox. I said, all right, maybe it's because it was Fox. I don't know. This year was on CBS, and he didn't speak. Uh, he has a State of the Union this Thursday night in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'll be down there. I'll Patrick, be on the if floor. you work for him and not Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, I feel better about it. I mean, he's got to, at 80 years old, he has to depend on people that know what they're doing. And does anyone feel good when Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken are talking? And that's why people have trouble signing off on this. Yeah, and and, and listen, I I, I just I, I hope and I pray uh, that we can somehow rally to do the right thing, and not to do the right thing. I'm not talking about November, Brian. I'm talking about March. We're yeah. March first today. Uh, I'm hopeful it's a month of St. Patrick, but we got to get the leaders of Washington to put politics aside and figure out a way to I come together. We really do. A couple more minutes when we come back. Are you doing out number today? Yeah, uh, right. No, I'm doing uh, Harris Faulkner 11. Okay, so you, oh, can yeah, you stay another block? Yeah. Okay, good. A uh, few more minutes with Patrick Murphy, a lot more to discuss, including uh, who he thinks uh, Donald Trump should pick. Don't move. Bye. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. So the best running mate for Donald Trump that would give people like Patrick Murphy heartburn. He was uh, he's a Democrat from Pennsylvania uh, who will be on with Harris Faulkner shortly. You have uh, Tim Scott, Elise Stefanik, Christy Nome. They say the governor of Texas. I am not sure for a couple of reasons. Uh, as a finalist to do it. I also think Lee Zeldin's been vetted. What do you think's the best natural fit for him? Do you have a prediction? Uh, I mean, I think the best natural fit is... Or, or uh, Tulsi Gabbard, former Democrat. Yeah. I, I, I Did was, you serve with her? Uh, I didn't serve with her, but I've been good friends with her for, for a long time. I supported her in a primary campaign uh, way back in the day when she was first running. You know, because she's an Army veteran. I support veterans. Part of that is because... It used to be four out of every five members of Congress for veterans. Now it's less than one out of every five are veterans. So it was just in D.C. Last, last night supporting some Democrats like Pat Ryan and others across the country. But to your point, surprise pick who I would love to see that would make it even more difficult. So I, I don't want to see it in a sense, but a guy like Mark Cuban from Pittsburgh, you know, he just sold the Dallas Mavericks for over a billion dollars at Adelson's wife. Uh, There's no way, but I, I, I don't think so neither. Uh, but – I'm, you're asking me my pick. Now, I usually, you know, Lee Zell and I serve. He, he thinks that Trump's a lunatic. 
Well, listen, <laughs> I, I will say that part of that is, is even when Trump was in, he didn't pick any Democrats in his cabinet. That was like one of the first times I've seen that, right? So that would be that would be surprising when you talk Who's about— the Republican in Biden's uh, office? Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, as I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's any Republicans. Yeah, so like the last two—but every—decades, we're talking decades— there was folks. George Bush, you know, Secretary yeah. of the Army, Pete Guerin. Was I bet you Tulsi Gabbard's in somehow if Trump wins. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You heard about the difference that cooperation, collaboration, and communication between federal personnel and local officials can make in the efficient and effective enforcement of our laws. Unlike Texas Governor Abbott's efforts to undermine federal border enforcement, the leaders in Brownsville serve as a model of cooperation in addressing together the challenges that irregular migration present. Yeah, he'll be impeached soon, but it probably won't go through. That Secretary of Homeland Security, Orlando Mayorkas, the worst ever, the worst policies uh, possible you can imagine, and now are all in danger because of it. Whether you're riding the subways in New York City or you want to go for a jog outside the University of Georgia, don't think for a second these are people, for the most part, trying to live the American dream. They're not. And, and that's one thing the president did not bring up yesterday. He brought up all the border policies, the deal that he wanted to sign, how bad Donald Trump is. Let's work together. But he didn't bring up the criminal element that's coming through. Why? Because in 2015, Donald Trump famously said, we're going to build a wall. We'll have a door for the good people. But listen, Mexico is not sending us their best. And everyone said, that is so anti-Hispanic. And it was never meant to be anti-Hispanic. Now 140 separate countries are coming through our border it's impossible. Anti-Africa, anti-Eastern Europe, anti-Russia, anti-China, and anti I mean, come on. That is that, that argument's dead on arrival. But now everyone realizes it. That's the difference. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now. Colonel, welcome back. Your thoughts about the, the dueling events yesterday? Well, what you saw yesterday reminds me of back when 1995 when I was stationed in uh, South Korea along DMZ. And when you went up on the DMZ and you peered over into North Korea, they had this facade of a place called Kaesong Village uh, to make you believe that things were, you know, successful and prosperous. And it also reminds me of Catherine the Great when she went out and toured the Russian countryside. They created the Potemkin Village for her to make her believe that all was well with the with the lowly peasants and, and the serfs. And that's what we saw happen here. They, another Potemkin Village was set up there, Kaesong City in Brownsville, where there's no problem. There's like a trickling of illegal immigrants coming across instead of Joe Biden going to the heart of the matter. And you and I have discussed about this before. Texas shares 1,249 miles of border with Mexico. And even when you look at what is happening, Eagle Pass, Del Rio, Kenny County, that area, that is just about, you know, 50 to 100 miles. But that's a critical point. That's not where Joe Biden wants to go. Joe Biden picks and chooses to go to El Paso and they clean it up before before he gets there, and then he picks and chooses to go to Brownsville and say everything's fine. Uh, if they had just passed my border control legislation, uh, uh, everything would be okay here. instead of me reversing what I did back in January 2021. 
So, and the president of the United States, I mean, when you come out and say things like this, Donald Trump is weak on the border security and weak on crime. You have lost me. I don't need, I don't need to finish that. You just know this is pure fiction because they were you criticizing him for being tough on both those areas. You cannot have it both ways. So here's a little of, um, of what went on yesterday. Here's Dan Bible. He's the executive associate director of enforcement and removal operations. He's talking about the push to get Biden to get rid of sanctuary cities. Cut 16. Hopefully, um, with some of the stuff that has happened recently in the news, we can get some of these local and um, um, state jurisdictions to come back to the table and work with ICE so we can get these these public safety threats out of the community and remove them through, um, from the United States for that ultimate um, immigration consequence. That's like the mayor is beginning to talk about now and the White House is urging local officials to work with ICE. Yeah. You remember the people they called Nazis when Senator Kamala yeah. Harris was in the Senate? Now the Nazis are needed, it seems. Yeah, and I remember when uh, the progressive socialist leftists, the mob on the streets, were going out and attacking ICE stations and setting them on fire, things of that nature. Look, what you see happen with Lake, Lake and Riley down in Athens, Georgia, let's not forget Kay Steinle out in San Francisco. Let's not forget Molly Tibbetts in Iowa. Let's not forget uh, Elizabeth Medina here in Texas, a high school cheerleader who was killed. And we just recently uh, in Louisiana had an illegal immigrant that raped a young teenage girl. These things are happening every single day all across the United States of America, and it really should cause Americans to remember when doing the Carter administration, Fidel Castro you know, emptied out his jails and dumped everyone here in the United States of America. And that's exactly what we see coming in from Venezuela. In Venezuela, we reapproached them after the president will cut off relations with them. We asked them to drill oil. We said, we'll, we'll buy yeah. your oil. We'll help you. If you promised to have free and fair elections, they didn't. They ended it. And then they said, we're not going to take any of our people back. So we're, we mm-hmm. stand for nothing, even in our own hemisphere. So looking at all this and the danger that the president did not bring up yesterday, listen to Hillary Vaughn did some great work on Capitol Hill, catching up to the, uh, Veronica Escobar, Andre Carson, then Ro Kahana, and then Greg uh, Caesar. Listen to this. Cut 15. Georgia nursing student Lakin Riley was killed by an illegal immigrant who entered in this country, claimed asylum, was given parole. How can anyone feel safe in this country if we're letting killers in under the policies in place? You know, the House Republicans and Senate Republicans blocked what Senate Republicans called the toughest border security bill in congressional history. Well, we can't use one example to um, indict a whole system. I think um, our country is built on the backs of not just African slaves, but of immigrants. We have to feel safe, but there have to obviously be consequences for, for, for heinous murders and my sympathies and uh, with the victim and the family members. It's just awful. Uh, I don't know, but that, for that person, that sounds really tragic. You feel better now? Uh, No, I don't. But the American people should definitely not feel better because what you heard there in those segments were obfuscation and trying to cast blame elsewhere. And, you know, again, trying to go back to the whole, well, blacks, you know, we're here as slaves and, and what have you. 
instead of facing the issues that it was Joe Biden who reversed the policies, it's Joe Biden that has made our border unsecure. And look, Brian, we are not even talking about the hundreds of thousands and millions of single military aged males that are now in this country. At a time when the Biden administration has reduced our United States military to its lowest levels since 1940, I'm talking about, you know, World War II. And we actually have more uh, gotaways in this country that that we say 1.5 to 2 million then we have active duty military strength of our united states army and marine corps so all of these things need to be discussed and that's not republicans doing it and shame on those senate republicans for you know going into the making a deal with the devil by the pale moonlight because now you just heard veronica escobar say well those senate republicans said that this was a great piece of legislation they should have stood together and said no we're not doing it joe biden fix the border yourself you broke it uh, I want to bring you to an idea to not only your opinion that they broke it. I want to bring you back to some of the comments that uh, Mayorkas took great glory in doing, along with uh, Vice President Harris, talking about border security dating back to 2021. Cut 14. Sounds to most folks like a crisis. Well, look, it's way down now. We've now gotten control. Precisely that. The border is closed. Nor could I have been clear and continued to be so, which is the border is closed. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. We agree that uh, the border is secure. Okay. They're on the record. This is the biggest catastrophe in history. More people come across in history. Yeah. A lot of them are criminals in history. They don't build a wall. They will not change amnesty regulations yeah. and take great glory in reversing all Donald Trump's policies. And now they want Trump to combine with Biden to solve the problem. What would you say if you were President yeah. Trump? Uh, I would say, you know, what was that Joe McAuliffe said to the uh, to the Nazis when they asked him to surrender at Bastogne? Nuts. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. I think that's where we're going with it. So we'll see where this goes. So right now, looking at this election, the Bloomberg did a poll, and they have Trump up three in Arizona, six in Georgia, and six in Nevada. The real clear politics average has him up three. Where do you think this is going as the president's still looking at uh, a lot of time in court? Well, I think that what the president should do is have a strong group of surrogate speakers that are out and about talking about these issues like we're doing right now, keeping it at the forefront for the in the minds of the face of the American people when he can get out there once again, continue to hammer on the issues and just go back and say, you know, on the day before Joe Biden took office in January 2021, inflation was 1.4 percent. Uh, this was what was going on with the border. Gasoline prices with this. This is the situation in the world. Uh, Al-Qaeda, and I mean Al-Qaeda, ISIS was defeated. Soleimani was dead. Just go down the list of all of these things and let people understand what happened the moment Joe Biden took over as president of the United States of America and the deplorable, disgusting this concerning situation in which we find our country now today. Do you think that the Israelis should be supported as they wanted to go into Rafa? 
Uh, yes, they should be, because, you know, Hamas will kill Americans just the same as they killed Jews. As a matter of fact, they did kill Americans on October the 7th, and they have Americans held hostage. And I think that's another thing we need to do. We need to put the kibosh on these pro-Hamas supporters, uh, such as even Rashida Tlaib. I mean, I think that she's committing treason by standing there as a member of the United States House of Representatives and supporting a designated terrorist organization. You, and we need to be tougher on those people here that support Hamas. Here she is. Cut 45. Have seen what is happening in Gaza and have decided that they can no longer remain silent. Over the past few weeks, we've heard a lot about how the president and his administration are concerned and troubled by the Israeli government's actions. We're here to tell him, so are we. And yet again, once again, we are continuing, though, to veto resolutions at the United Nations for a third time calling for immediate lasting ceasefire. We're asking, please, let's go ahead and now prioritize Palestinian lives and again, saving the lives that are there, many of them women and children. I want you all to know in southern Gaza, Netanyahu has already promised to invade Rafah, even if there is a temporary ceasefire. Your reaction? She is, she's in U.S. Congress to serve the Palestinian people. Yeah, and, and that means she's there to serve Hamas. Hamas is the governing authority that controls uh, Gaza. And so she is really a shill. She is really a propaganda mouthpiece for Hamas, this terrorist organization. And uh, she should be censured. She should be removed from Congress uh, because what she is putting forth from her mouth is the talking points that the Hamas leadership would want her to put forth. And uh, I, I think this is very troubling that we would have someone whose allegiances are completely not with the United States of America. It's with a terrorist organization. Yeah, how about the fact that the people they keep electing her in Michigan, they're happy with it. So that, that kind of scares me. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, that, thanks that so much. Be. Always a pleasure. Have a great weekend, Brian. All right, All right. keep uh, securing that border. It looks like you guys have to do it yourself. Federal government, no help. one 408 Quick announcement. Don't forget One Nation on Saturday night. It's going to be a great show. Lieutenant Colonel, excuse me, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick will be with us. Mark Thiessen will be with us. Abigail Schreier uh, will be with us. Michelle Tafoya uh, will break it down. And then we'll have our co-host, Quiz, is going to be back. It's going to be a great show. You can always DVR it, too. Uh, and, of course, on April 27th, I'll be on stage with History, Liberty, and Laughs on stage, Henderson, Nevada, right outside Las Vegas. Some VIP opportunities still available. BrianKilmead.com. Remember to check out Brian's show, One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. If you already have plans, set up that DVR and watch when you get home. That's One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. Be there. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I've had a couple of good conversations with him most recently yesterday, telling him my intention. Told him that I had uh, worked with him when I was the majority whip for four years and uh, worked very successfully, in my opinion, um, with him and his team. And uh, I look forward to doing that again. Uh, so, you know, these these uh, leadership races are really insider races. They're based on... Uh, 
trust and relationships. And um, so I look forward to continuing to have those conversations with my colleagues. He wanted to know who was interested, who was running. So we didn't have that conversation. And again, this is a vote by senators for the uh, majority leader of the Senate. And so uh, those are the people who I need to be talking to. But he was talking about talking to President Trump. And what happened is Mitch McConnell a couple of days ago said, this is it. We kind of figured that. He's going to finish out his six years, but he's not going to be his leader. So Cornyn, I'm surprised how much Senator John Cornyn wants it. I like him a lot, and I always did. You know, people are mad at him for doing uh, uh, gun reform, but I thought it made a lot of sense, some of the reforms he made. And he took leadership on it. People were kind of mad at him. I'm not. But the president also knows he's good with uh, John uh, with Wasserman, uh, Senator, um, uh, the senator from Wyoming. He's not in a difficult race, so he'll be campaigning with his colleagues. And Senator Thune of South Dakota. But the one thing about Thune is I think a year ago the big story was how he was not going to run again. So that would be a big change from not running again to being the leader. And it looks likely, I mean, who knows, likely Republicans are going to take the Senate. Now, the person the president seems to like who's the president's urging to get in is Steve Daines of Montana. He's in charge of flipping the Senate Republican. And he's doing a great job. He gets along with the president and most people in Montana outside uh, the current the Democratic senator there do, and he wants him. So the president has his leader in Johnson. I think McCarthy is also friendly with the president. I don't think that was his doing, but he's more friendly with Matt Gates. But the president's hold on the party is is pretty distinct. And you know, Mitch McConnell, the people are waiting for McConnell to endorse him. Number one, it's not going to help. Number two, the president insulted his wife Elaine Chow. He's not going to do it. Unless the president just says, you know, I overreacted, she did a good job with me in our cabinet, I don't see I don't see Mitch McConnell doing it. He doesn't have to. And at 82 years old, I think he's got his hands full anyway. But that's the president of the United States. He's involved in all elements of the Republican Party. And the big question is, when the president's done after these four years or after these nine months, when he's, in, when he's done running for office, this is his last run, does he still have that power? Does he still have that power? Over the party. He seemed pretty confident yesterday. And this is what he does best. He goes into the heart of the problem. He goes into Shelby Park. He sees what it's done and what has worked. He looks over the worst part of the Rio Grande River. And also, when there is trouble, he goes to Dover. He makes calls to people. And he also talked to Lake and Riley's parents, whose daughter was just brutally murdered. Cut nine. Reports have come out, and we've been covering them, and everybody's been. And I spoke to the parents of an incredible young lady. You saw her the other day. You saw what happened the other day in Georgia. And the parents are devastated. They're incredible people. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. And and that's what's happened. I mean, it's really happened under his regime. And he was taking credit for it. And now he's got to run from it. And that's what I think the problem is is that people remember that Joe Biden ran on the fact that Donald Trump was too tough on the border and they wanted to label him as anti-immigrant, anti-Hispanic. These are the issues that came back to the former president. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Harris is going to be here shortly. I will. Uh, he'll be offering commentary and everything that's important, as well as Shannon Bream, 
uh, at the top of the hour. She is getting ready to do her show, Fox News Sunday, over the weekend. You can watch it again Tuesday on Fox on uh, 2 o'clock on Sunday in the night. So that's, uh, that's great. We'll talk about We have a lot of legal cases to go over, too. We're also seeing... Um, we're also going to be seeing in the afternoon the Georgia case move forward as we try to find out if Fannie Willis could possibly continue on this case. For me, absolutely not. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Anyone else that maybe we haven't heard? Well, you know, it's very funny. I was talking about Tim Scott. You guys negotiated. He was not. <laughs> Tim, Tim, for himself, he was fine. He did okay. I mean, he was okay. As a candidate. But he didn't want to talk about himself. You know, he's a very good man. But listen, Tim Scott did talk about himself. He talked about his bio and his inspirational story, how much he loves America. But the president really likes him. And I think he's the front runner for VP on the short list, in my view. Although I still think Elise Stefanik would be the best fit. We'll talk about that also. Trump knows the biggest vulnerability for Republicans is abortion. He's got a plan. Number two. If you don't have immunity, you can be blackmailed. You can be, as a president, they'll say, if you don't do this, this, and this, we're going to indict you as soon as you leave office. You cannot allow a president to be out there without immunity. Uh, That is what the president's hoping for when the Supreme Court takes his case. Trump trials his legal team to give a green light to a July documents case. They said, well, why don't we just start the documents case in August? It's ultimately going to be up to the judge. Meanwhile, the Georgia juvenile soap opera is back front and center. Number one. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, don't take a cognitive test, Mr. President. You're speaking very clearly. Uh, the border battle gets personal for Biden and Trump. And so far, it's clear when it comes to this titanic topic, Trump is on top. He ran on it and continues to run on it. What took place yesterday and how long Joe put our entire, how could Joe put our entire nation in the crosshairs because he let everybody in and many of these guys are criminals. And joining us right now is somebody who does not have a criminal record, Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday, Fox News, uh, Fox News is chief legal correspondent. Thanks so much, Shannon, for being here. No criminal record that you know of. Right. I mean, I have not given you the background check. So I don't know. I'd say let's just leave things where they are. Well, put it this way. If you have spent time in prison, this is the biggest transformation in history. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) prison does work. I have in the sense that when I was little, my late father was a law enforcement officer and he took me to jail one time just to give me a feel for the place. And that did the trick. Yeah, that would do. That would do it for me. <laughs> I'm pretty was like, yeah, I don't want to come back here. Was he sensing you heading running with a bad crowd? I was only about eight at the time, oh. so I don't think so. But he just headed it off at the pass. All right, cool. First off, this Georgia case with, with these text messages coming out that show that his ex business partner Terrence Bradley was texting with Ashley Merchant, basically saying their relationship started in 2019. The geolocator showing that she was over, they were together at her place constantly with the relationship early. How could they possibly stay in this case? I mean, this is 
here's the thing, how drastically this case has changed in a couple of weeks. Because remember, we're talking about this three or four weeks ago, and she's on the stand, he's on the stand, same story. Didn't start before I hired him. Um, we split everything down the middle. And then you have all this other stuff come up to her and Spradley, um, all of the geolocation material. As you said, this judge has got to make a very tricky decision. He could say one or both of them need to go from this case. Um, the whole thing could have to start from scratch. In any case, you know, the case doesn't go away, but it could be a serious delay, which is great for the Trump legal team. Um, but, man, this judge has got now a mountain of evidence that disagrees with what they've both said under sworn testimony, which could be a bigger problem for both of them, too. Who is this? Who makes the decision to try this as a RICO case with 17 people? And and now that if this case does go to somebody else, do they have mm-hmm. to deal with the same game plan? No. I mean, they could present this a totally different way. And again, logistically, to have that many people in a RICO case when this isn't something you do on a regular basis is really tricky. It's dicey. It sounds good. You have all these names. You have all these pictures. It so- Listen, and people have already taken plea deals. It's intimidating. It's scary. But the fact is, if a new prosecutor or prosecutor team takes this over, they could handle it in a completely different way, split these apart, bring different charges. I mean, it's it's a whole new game. So if this does go up to a different jurisdiction, if it goes up to the attorney general in Georgia, that's a Republican. Could that Republican decide not to take it? Should these two be kicked off? Is that the way it works? I'm not sure exactly. I know that there's a way for putting other prosecutors in charge if they want to keep it within the office that it's in now. And yes, I mean, a new prosecutor could take a look at this and say, I would handle this in a completely different way. They're not bound to the cases that right. now presented by Fannie Willis. It's not like they, excuse me, Fannie Willis. It's not as if they have to pick it up where she left off or where it kind of paused in the middle of this disqualification hearing. That's not the case at all. They can handle it completely differently. So uh, out of the Hunter Biden case, we now have the 200 pages to look through. Uh, I want you to hear what the this National View uh, columnist said to Bill Hemmer earlier today about what he picked up from it. We get a lot of information from the witness and don't hear a lot of the grandstanding from the members who are questioning them, which is desirable, in part because they give Joe, uh, Hunter Biden quite a lot of rope to hang himself with. He says in this uh, in part of this transcript, in part uh, that... Uh, Jim, Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother, when they were talking about involving Joe Biden, it was entirely aspirational. Wouldn't it be nice if we had the president involved in this thing? But no, nah, it'll never happen. That uh, conflicts rather significantly with previous testimony that he had been given and other evidence that we have of Joe Biden's involvement in the repayment of these, these loans from which he received 10 percent of this, uh, this remuneration. And he was, in fact, the big guy. That information came out when we were talking about these strong-arming texts, which Hunter Biden, A, says he sent to the wrong Zhao. He was, it was meant for a different Zhao. And that mistake was made because he was under the influence of either drugs or alcohol. These are said in defense of his own conduct, incriminating his, himself and demonstrating that he's not a reliable witness, which makes it almost inevitable that he will have to testify in public, that he will have to expose himself to these very political, well, uh, showy uh, hearings. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about this. You know, 20 times they find out that president, the vice president and then uh, the vice president was in various business meetings with these with his son, uh, whether it was a phone call where we put on speakerphone or whether he showed up for dinner. But he only talked about the weather and small uh, and, and trivial things. We're to believe that. And then when pressed about things like text messages, I was drunk or high. Mm-hmm. I never thought being an addict can be so helpful in a case like this. 
Well, and I've heard you point out, gosh, the punctuation and the sentence structure and everything on some of these texts seems very clear. If you were um, super high and super under the influence of something, maybe you would have a tougher time with some of these communications, but they seem pretty, um, you know, grammatically correct and those kinds of things. So it would cause some people to call in question exactly how that whole thing went down. But it is convenient if you've had struggles in your life to be able to say, like, that's from a period I don't remember or that's it's hazy to me. It's whatever it is. That falls under that timeline. But you're right. We heard yesterday from lawmakers that he was very verbose on many of these answers. That's the last thing you want from your client as an attorney. I'm sort of like, give them a yes or a no. Let's shut it down. Don't offer anything additional. And I felt like there were times he probably wanted to explain more about his addiction and other things to paint a very specific picture. But the more that you answer and give context or give dates or times or explanations, the more Republicans will then be able to say, hey, that's in conflict with something else you said at another time. That's how you heard them painting it when they came out of the hearing and to say, we're moving forward to the next phase. While Democrats came out and said there was nothing new, there was nothing speculative, there's no smoking gun, it's a waste of time. Right. Uh, If I ever upset you, Shannon, just remember, I'll always use the term, I was too drunk. I don't remember. Or you don't recall. I don't recall. That's a good one. I don't recall. That's Mm -hmm. everyone's great great at that, especially that Georgia case. I I love some of this exchange with Matt Gaetz. So oh boy. did you see, I mean, I don't get it. Uh, it says, uh, when he says, were you on drugs? Matt Gates asked when you were on the Burisma board, Mr. Gates, look me in the eye. You really think that's appropriate to ask me? Absolutely. Right, right there, the exchange, look me in the eye, appropriate to ask me. What, of course it's appropriate to ask you. How did you get the job? What were you doing when you were there? Why was your dad in charge of the vice of the Ukraine portfolio for the Obama administration? What role did that play? Were you drunk because he had been saying how drunk he was? Then he went on to say, of all the people sitting here around the table, do you think that that's appropriate to ask me? I will answer it this way. Is he insinuating that Matt Gates is on drugs? <laughs> I don't know. These two had some back and forth there about – the number of swipes and things at each other that, um, you know, we like to think that once these congressmen and women are behind closed doors and are doing something this serious that it doesn't get personal. But again, if you are talking about substance abuse as an excuse or an explanation from some of your for some of your actions, it would seem that's an appropriate question to ask. Right. So he goes no? on to say, I've been the absolutely transparent my drug use. Again, I spoke to you all earlier this morning. I'm sorry. I'm an addict. I was an addict. I've been in recovery for over four and a half years. I look. I work really hard at. It. Yes, I was an addict. What does that have to do with whether or not you're going to go forward with an impeachment of my father? Are you a high functioning addict? He says, Hunter Biden. I think I I was until I wasn't. And you were a high functioning addict when you were at the Barisma board. He said, Were you a high function? Matt Gates. He's. I don't. Uh, not the entire time I was on the Barisma board. Were you a high functioning addict when you were working on the three CEFC deals? Yes, probably. But again. So he's trying to say is this is illogical for you to be able to pull this off and then go back and well and rest on your drug use. So he also said his his role at Burisma was his way of pushing back against Russian aggression while on drugs while I with hookers. I think that was very interesting too. <laughs> I don't. That was an interesting section as well. <laughs> so 
So after all this, what is it? You do it in part to fight Russian aggression by sitting on the Burisma board. I mean, again, that's the kind of answer that I would just tell my client not to give. Just say yes and no. You don't need to tell them that you were fighting Russian aggression by being on the Burisma board because that makes everybody, including Democrats, I'm sure who are reading that, like, shake their head. So the other thing he also brought up with Jared Kushner, he goes, under fire, he goes, uh, unlike Jared Kushner, I've never received money from foreign governments. Well, here's the problem. You you have received money from uh, CEFC, which is affiliated with, with China. Of course, these uh, energy companies, part of the Belt and Road Program. And Jared Kushner is a private businessman before and after. I have no problem with it. No one will ever go in government if you can't go in business before and after. Well, mm-hmm. do you think Jamie Dimon is not going to go back? If he served this country as president or secretary of treasury, is not going to go back and do something significant on the J.P. Morgan board? Of course he is. Does that mean he used the government to further his edu- to further his career? Uh, Jared Kushner was doing pretty well before, uh, a lot better than I was. Uh, and by the way, took a dollar serving and almost went to prison. But real quick, Shannon, why do you think that this uh, that the committee now wants uh, is offered? has offered Hunter the opportunity to testify publicly. Well, remember the whole fight that they had. He showed up here yes. when he was supposed to go in for the sure. deposition. He holds his press conference publicly out here outside the Capitol and then says, but I'm not going to do it. Um, and they said that that's what they wanted. Although everybody knows you normally in the legal you know, chain of things, you do have a private deposition or something else. You get questions, you get answers, you do that before you take something public to trial, like put a witness on the stand. You got to know what they're going to say. So now that it's being offered publicly, it sounds like his legal team thinks that that's not a good idea and they don't want to do it. Last I heard from our David Spunt. Right. Uh, Today, Fannie Willis taking the stand. We know that's significant. The other story that I have not been wrapped my head around is the Trump team is, seems to be okay with an August. Am I to believe, if I believe what I read, they're mm-hmm. okay with an August 12th start to the documents trial? I... Why would they do that if it could potentially allow this whole thing to be done before the election? Mm-hmm. Their whole argument is there's no way to, to fairly, legally, constitutionally do this before the November election. But if you're forcing us to pick a date, we would say August 12th, which I think is interesting because then that means this would be going on during the DNC. Um, that would be a week into this trial, which is going to take several weeks. They're continuing to main the, maintain the argument, though, that it cannot be done in a way that is fair or prudent or legal before the election. So that August date is their backup. But um, I think that you're going to hear their arguments in, in court today very heavily into pushing beyond November. Right. So August would not be the benefit of the president. And what I've also heard, too, you're the expert, is that in normal in real the real world, if you're indicting a person like this over crimes like that, you never are doing this in a matter of months. It takes so long to put mm-hmm. it together and put together the teams and handle the motions. This is a sprint to find that to try to convict President Trump before the election. Is there anything else you can, you can conclude from this? Well, listen, even in his own pleadings and arguments, a special counsel has said the people of America need to know who they have, what they're dealing with before the election. Like this is a matter of national importance. Now, a lot of courts out there are going to say we are not on the schedule of a political calendar. That's not how we operate. That's not what we do. 
Um, and so they're not really buying that argument in some cases. But at the same time, the president, former president, has been out there arguing, saying, like, I'm campaigning. I can't be in the middle of a federal criminal trial while I'm campaigning. And there have been reactions from some of the courts on some of these motions also saying, hey, it's not our problem that you're running for president. Like, we are going to operate this court in the way that we do. But this right. is very expedited on many of these cases. Right. It's a different timeline. Who's in your show? We're going to have Senator Ben Cardin. We are also going to have Senator Marco Rubio. They're going to talk foreign policy, Israel, the border, all that kind of stuff. Then we got a couple campaign surrogates. We've got uh, Democratic Senator Chris Kuhn and Congressman Byron Donald. And we've got new polls, and we're looking at Super Tuesday and the State of the Union. Very interesting. But uh, first Shannon, of all, Saturday night, your show for prep. Yes, 9 o'clock. Uh, Mark Thiessen will be on. Uh, Dan Patrick will be on, the lieutenant governor of Texas. We have Abigail Schreier on talking about too much therapy for kids is making them depressed. Hard to believe, but it's she's got facts to back it up. It's intriguing. And we do a co-host quiz. Shannon, if you were not a solo anchor, you would be eligible for the co-host quiz. But oh, you I like are a one. Quiz. You are, but you are a solo performer. You're not Wait, eligible. Also, see that there was on social media an option that you would start the show with a dance number because I wanted to uh, vote for that. Right, uh, that was true, but I just can't get it. I'm looking at a lycra outfit now that would just uh, show my curves, and that, that's because I just <laughs> don't want to just dance in a want. suit. Exactly. <laughs> Give the people what they want. We'll stand by for that Saturday night. Shannon Bream, thank you. Back Bye. in a moment. Never mad at dance floor that ever did me any good. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, thanks so much for being here. We've got a couple minutes, and then we're going to welcome in Tyrus and close out the hour. Uh, it's a lot going on today, and we're going to be trying to cover it all. The one thing that you might have missed because we got so much going on, and that is where Alexei Navalny was buried, and this guy was probably the top dissident to President uh, Vladimir Putin. He was extremely worried about him. He was afraid to kill him. There's some reason Navalny, to his great credit, I guess, but ultimate detriment, went back after he was poisoned and brought over to Germany and was able to survive. But then he was tortured, brought in the right, uh, the worst prison possible, and dies. But it shows a emboldened Vladimir Putin as he now gets set to answer the call, well, uh, air quotes, to Moldova's breakaway province that they're going to need some protection. That's the same thing he did in Georgia. That's why he went into the Donbass region, and then he just holds on to that territory as he tries to reassemble the Soviet Union. Uh, that is not my idea. That is his idea. And he's saying it out loud. Tyrus, next. His mouth to your ears. It's Brian Kilmeade. We all know about racial tropes, do we not? Racist tropes. You ever heard of that? Where people sit up there and try to use things to intimate something else of a racially insensitive nature. So black folks, 
with the president and fried chicken ain't the greatest look. That's number one. Number two, President Biden, respectfully, I got to ask you this question. What the hell are you doing eating fried chicken? You're 81. What 81 you know is munching on fried chicken? You ain't been in the greatest health in a lot of people's eyes, you know. So eat some fried chicken ain't the greatest look. Thirdly, y'all knew Fox News and other networks jumped on that, right? And they talked about how he's trying to appeal with the, with the black vote to go get fried chicken. They made the connection, right? Y'all would have a problem with Fox News and Jesse Waters bringing something like that up. I have a problem with the president. A little bit of the rant of Stephen A. Smith. He does it every day, multiple times a day. But I did bring this up three weeks ago. I don't know if you guys did it. And Tyrus, thanks so much for being here. I don't know if you guys did it on, on Gutfeld or you did it on your Outkick show. Uh, but I, know, thought, I couldn't believe it. I thought I, I thought I misheard it. No, I appreciate all the plugs, B, and that's why, that's why you're my favorite. Thank you. Uh, I didn't talk about it in my book either, which is available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what? Uh, we, Greg did not have your foresight on this. He didn't so roll he did not. Yet? He did not. He spent so much time attacking you. And uh, every he, night, it seems. Uh, yeah, you and, and Waters. He's really angry at Waters. I wonder if you two ever just got together and just pull him aside and but, maybe give him a talking but to. But I am, we are both two of the most handsome people in America. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's yeah, true. With the exception of that beautiful light-skinned guy. So, um, <laughs> listen, I, I, he, Stephen, it makes great points. Like, the Democratic Party is that dumb. They are that simple. Like, this is, this is that corn pop one-on-one that we are all just the, the I'll stereotypes. I'll sit down with a black family. And eat fried chicken at 80 years old. We're not, Al, we don't even Al, eat fried chicken anymore. But Allison just said to me, make sure I point out to you that he had a hamburger. Yeah, of course he did. Oh. Of course he did. <laughs> Wait, yeah. is that what he said? Okay, listen, cut 39. Well, I mean, you got chicken fingers, you got all the other. I want the root of making sure I had a hamburger. See, they warned him. (laughs) (laughs) They warned him. So what is, oh, this is what's happening. Our dear, poor, sweet president is now repeating the instructions that he's been given in the back. He's getting him confused with the script they gave him. So, oh, man. It's getting worse. that little sweetheart now. You know what happened is. uh, He's telling the thing. They're like, listen, whatever you do. Do not touch the chicken. <laughs> Eat the hamburger. Right. You know, we don't want an international incident. You don't want to steal their culture. This is, this is the most racist shit I've ever heard in my entire life, and I've I've seen it all and done it all. Like, this is – this I would put this in Blazing Saddles, too. This so, is like I this mean, is I, a scene that I would put in Blazing Saddles, too. Whatever you do when you go out there. By the way, are we allowed to watch chicken. Blazing Saddles? I am. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm a 1099, baby. I'll, find, I'll show up somewhere. I'll show up somewhere. All right, so it's interesting. By the way, will you call Gutfeld in the break and tell him to put it on the show tonight, even though it's three weeks old? Yeah, I would in a second. He, yeah. But here's the thing. Uh, I've been fighting. I, I am of the Morgan Freeman School of Thought Which for is? Black History Month. That No, absolutely not. I, I don't want it. February, by the way, is the worst month. Not the fact that it's just the shortest. Weather-wise, it's one of the worst. It's, it's cold everywhere. Yeah. It's not. It's you have good it's even days. cold in Florida. Yeah, it's like it's cold. It's wet, but not enough for snow. It's like it's just the worst <laughs> month. Like if you would have gave us September, I might have been cool with it. But like, yeah, not one. And this is America. You cannot designate one month to one group because we did this whole thing with All our right. sleeves rolled up together. And my history will not be condensed down to one month. Thank like, you. It wasn't right. February where we were like, hey, peanut butter, cotton gin. They started dropping all our inventions. We only work in February. Like, that in itself is racist. So, Well, well how about the fact – and veterans get one day. Yeah. No, give, <laughs> yeah, it should be every day. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we missed it because Greg, you know, he 
I mess with him all the time. So every time he said something, I'm like, yo, it's Black History Month. Go there. <laughs> um, so, okay, a couple of things. Why so, do you always stand when I come on? Do I? With your hands on your head. It's like a defense. We're friends here, man. Sit. Like, it's, we're good. Is it made, does it intimidate? No, I didn't know just, I could be friends. No, because uh, I can still punch the top of your head and sit uh, down. Yeah. Yeah, like, relax, man. We're all friends here. I'm not, I, I say the same thing every time he attacks you. Why? Right. Why? B is the guy. He's the man. Thank you. Like, I don't understand it. Is it, is it just because you have more street cred than Greg? Is that what it is? Because you're a boots-on-the-ground guy. You're not just a pretty face in a suit. Right. You've been in the stuff. Right. You know what I'm saying? Jim Brown was a friend. That's enough said. Right That's there. all you need. Yeah. Greg doesn't have that. All right. A couple of things. Um, I don't know. Allison, does he stick up for me? Because you watch Gutfeld every night. I, I do the same thing. You do? I throw okay. my hands up and say, why? And I say, B is a friend of mine. Okay. Like, I don't know why you do I don't stick up for Jesse. All right. So let, let's talk about... The, the, the whole reason they did this is because the president's gotten, in some polls, up to 20% of the black vote. You know, that's, that's why they're doing it. Yeah, because they, Romney got eight. Yeah. Uh, well, here, here's the thing. McCain got nine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, you know what's funny? You mentioned John McCain, rest his soul. But, you know, I miss the John McCain, Barack Obama campaigns because it was classy. I and I was – and I even it didn't matter which way it went. Honestly, you might both guys would have been fine, as far as like you're not going to always get what you want when you're elected. Like you sometimes your side doesn't win, and that's a part of life. But you don't want the side. You got to go so back to that. Yeah, but I, there was that great moment, um, and it, you know I don't think I think Obama would have got it anyways. But that woman threw that lob up there, calling him a, a Muslim terrorist from, and and McCain said nope, he's but a good man. Actually, Eric has it. Yeah, this roll it. I can't trust Obama. I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, man. no, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. No, ma he's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. I, if we could get back to that. And, I agree. And that's the, that's the thing. And when you say the black vote, it insults me because. I don't get a black paycheck. Then I have to break up amongst us when we get paid. Yeah. We're not a group. We're all individuals, and that's what. Because that's the very, the very, uh, the very fabric of America is about individual achievement. It's yep. about an opportunity to go from living in a shack to owning a three-story house in the middle of uh, Louisiana. Like that is the American story, and you have to get there. No one's going to do it for you. There is no group right. that's going to say, "Hey, Tyrus, your your grades are down. Don't worry, we're going to go to school for you. Don't worry, Black America's got your back." Wait, wait, they can't, you know, like, and yeah. then I'm going to take, and then and then my homie's going to finish it for me. That's no. It's an individual. When they say that, is the lack of the vision because they want to group us. They want to convince us that we have to vote a certain way. There's no word. There's no referee in life. So no, that was unfair. Not. That guy as much was offside. As you want one, yeah. yeah, there's. there's always we could use one. Right, it'd be good. It'd be a lot. Well, no, we wouldn't get one taping of right. Jeff. It'd be so many offsides and false starts. Right, but and, but the thing is too is you want equal opportunity, you don't want equal outcomes. It's no fun. No. If you told me I'm going to win regardless, no offense to wrestling, which I know that's a little bit of an anomaly. Okay, yeah, uh, just you, you tread tread the waters here. Yeah, tread the waters. Here. Uh, but you know, with wrestling, you know that. I mean, that's one thing. But I'm not saying you're not athletes, but we know the outcome. You know what? You might want to stand up. <laughs> I want to stand up again. Serious, you're crossing some serious lines here. You're a habitual line stepper. You know, listen, simulated is, combat is simulated combat, bro. We, it might be a pen finish, but it's all fight to get there. I understand. I'm not walking with this cane right now because I was tap dancing. But you did. You pulled a. Would you pull? I pulled my T band. Yeah, left in a, a small house. But, but why would you? Why are you still going for? Shouldn't you be when you retire? It's not going for the heaviest weights anymore. 
See, here's the thing about wrestling. It's never over. And when you, you can s- always come back. You can always come back. But you don't come back unless you can. Now, I'm not, I'm no, not thinking about it right now, but um, you, you have to train for tomorrow. And right. I'm not training. Now I'm training my ass off because I need to be able to m- run around and move watching my kids and their soccer games and their baseball games. You have a and, soccer player? Oh, yes. My daughter, her nickname is Thunderfoot. And um, she does not. You know, Rodman's, yeah. Rodman's daughter is on the national team. Yeah. No, my daughter is. Uh, well, she's nine and she's on a travel team. She's doing her thing. My son in uh, New Orleans, in in, uh, in Mandeville. My son, so see, he's on like four travel team baseball. He's leading the league in RBIs. He's the uh, uh, what we call him Kakarot. How old is he? He's twelve and he's six two. Wow. First baseman, switch hitter. Is he bigger than you were at that age? Yeah, a little bit, but he's kinder than me. He doesn't. My son is. Uh, he's grown up the right way. He's got an amazing. Well, grand, was, his grandfather is actually being featured this week on the Dark Side of Wrestling, Haku, where the his laugh, his euphoric laugh, was. Uh, was all over the internet yesterday, but uh, you know he comes from we come. He's from a wrestling family, but uh, but your thing was you weren't mean. You were beat up a lot. You got me. Yeah, but I was. Yeah, I got me. I got aggressive, and none of my. You know, it's cool because none of my kids know that life, and I have to catch myself when I'm teaching them because my teachings come from that life. So I had to educate right. myself on how to be a civilized human being because. Talking to my kids the way I was growing up or the way I look at things right. doesn't connect. So it's a it was a it's a, it was a tough. You know, too interesting. Being a dad, learning to be a dad is on the job is tough. So this Abigail Schreier, you would love to have her on. She wrote this book about basically how therapy is killing these kids. People getting in touch with their feelings yeah. and going. And what happens is these kids have no freedom. They don't walk to school. They they don't. They, they find it. People want to ask them how they feel. Doesn't mean you have to go. You know, join a gang. But the bad times that you go through make you a better person. Let's, provides resilience for later in life. The the reason why they go to the gangs, uh, or the reason why it's not just gangs, it's other things. Why they turn to other people is because they're looking for it, and unfortunately. Uh, they're getting it artificially on social media. They get the fake love. They get catfish. They get told they're great. If they put a filter on, they can look pretty. Like it, it's just, it, and they get amassed in it. And then they step out in the real world, and people remind them of who they really are, and they spend all day on a device pretending right. to be something else. So the reality, and then you have someone who reinforces you are what you think you are on your little right. social media and your little avatar maker, opposed to working on who you are. Go outside and play. Get a scrape on your knee. Like, as and a parent, as a parent, let him. Let him. And I do it all the time. And I've even literally put my arm out to stop mom from running in. I'm like, no, they need to f- they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. And guess what? And then when right. it gets to the point where you need to step in and separate right. them and be like, all right, what did we learn? Two, two, two stories. I, I hope the Hasselbacks don't mind me saying this, but they, when Elizabeth started hosting with us, she said, why don't you Name come job. out? Yeah, why don't you come out and, and visit? And I go, Okay. Beautiful Greenwich, Connecticut, is per capita the richest oh, wow. place nice in the country. Number. Yeah, that's so your, they have that's two boys lane. that are full contact. Right, they had like four fights while we were playing soccer and baseball with them in front of, them, and no one even moved to take them no, apart because that's parenting. And then after a while, it's like, listen, Tim walked over and just grabbed one out, grabbed one, snatch him up. Like all of a sudden, this guy beat like one beat the other one inside. The other guy gave him a, a horse collar. And I'm going, wow, that's interesting. You might be in Greenwich, Connecticut, but they grew up as Hasselbacks. But their dad was an NFL player. And and he said, me and my brothers beat the hell out of each other, Matt and Tim. Well, me and my brother didn't beat the hell. It was pretty one-sided. He had... He, he, had he didn't get as big as you, right? He didn't get no, and or quick or strong. He did have a moment though where he caught me, and we were playing Madden, and I, his favorite player was Dan Marino, and I and I was playing with the Giants, and Lawrence Taylor picked off his pass, and, and I did the zigzag to run out the clock, 
And before I could cross the end zone, uh, the Sega was in my face. Red, get Plus out of here. my lip, yeah. I, I think I wrote about my book. Yeah, it was yeah. in my book. Yeah, that's right. And I dragged his ass. My mom was like, do not get the blood. Never again. Take it outside. Take right. it out. Just didn't even, smoking a cigarette, reading the newspaper, take him outside. Do not bleed in this house. That's like, just, it. Just, I'm done with you guys. Fight it out. And oh, then get okay. outside. And that was the first time that my mother didn't stop it. And my brother's entire, yeah. his entire defense changed. He suddenly was like, oh, I would never, please, <laughs> not in the face. And that was the only thing we agreed to is not in the face. So I Younger or older? Younger. So okay. I punched him in the stomach. So it is kind of normal it's, for it's an normal older brother for to be boys. It's, it's hard if when you're this you have to game. You have to educate aggression when they're babies because if you don't, men become the monsters because that's what's the most dangerous thing in this country is men, and when especially men without fathers or right. directions or people who have taught them how to deal with their aggression mm-hmm. because – I know everyone wants doesn't know what it men are born with testosterone. Right. And if you look in the animal world, what happens with uncontrolled animals with test males are dangerous, right. more dangerous than anything else. And it's the same thing in this country is like you, that you have to teach them young the responsibility of the, of the power that is to be a man. Whether you're a gut filled height guy, right. you know, not a big guy like us. You're still a man. You're still dangerous. But we do we agree that but white men. But you're educated. We understand. We have common sense and we were raised right. But white men are the worst. Do we agree? No, that? no. Okay. Men with power are the I worst. I think we're the worst. Whoever, no, whoever, is, whoever has the power <laughs> is the worst. It, if it switches tomorrow, okay. let's say Cambodia comes in here tomorrow, They're the worst. takes over shop, they're running everything, gotcha. then we'll be like, those damn Cambodians are the worst. The worst. And, you will be, and I'll finally be able to say, you know what I'm saying, brother? And you'll be like, yes, I do, brother. Back in a moment. Yep. You know, he would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Um, another thing, I hate soccer. Otherwise known as metric football, it's a dumb sport that nobody should ever play. And if you can't tell, this is an AI-generated voice. I'm not wearing a shirt right now. So what was that about? Yeah, that was an AI jet. It's not me. was about to change. You set me up. You have me open about my daughter, and then the next thing. You know, I'm a soccer player. Yeah, I know. There's literally a soccer ball in your in your studio. What was that? So Eric um, uploaded your voice at one point to an AI software, Ooh. and you could then just put in what we want you, quote unquote, to say. Wow! And that's wow. what it did. So we thought that was a nice way to tee off. It's gonna what be a lot of breakups. Tyrus thinks about uh, Google's AI Gemini. Oh, I, I don't participate. I've never used it, but I, I had no problem with Black George Washington. I actually kind of <laughs> liked it. Okay. <laughs> I, I had two theories on it because if everyone is the same color on the internet, eventually you'll talk about the issues. Okay. So I looked. Yeah. At, I tried to look at that. With the other side of it, though, is that's some of the most racist thing I've ever seen. Where you've eliminated white people from the conversation. Right. Uh, by and the cold part was it was done by white people. It was like a it was an inside job. Like that's the pro, that's the di- well no no you know what though but that's it is with all of us all the the worst people to your cause is your people. Right. It's always like as soon as you start as soon as you start something, it's always two or three underlings that want to embezzle. It's, still, it's like you, and then you want to be like, we got to stop Whitey, but it's Blackie that's robbing yeah. the hell out of me did, while did, I'm doing did, this. Did Pichu? Did he retire? Did he re- apologize for this? Because we thought AI was bringing us to the next level of no, intelligence. It's not. But it's just still human beings putting it's crap in there. It's ignorant to say that. There is no AI. There's just Josh and John, the tech writers, <laughs> down at Google. who And the whole thing, this whole thing over AI that we're racing the white people was a family issue. It was a domestic issue between 
Google Josh, J- what was his name? Jack Murder Crotch or Jack Rotten? He had like he had the worst name to have. Jack is the first, and it had Crotch in it. He is Jack right. and Crotch in his last name. He hates his parents. He right. finally gets to his moment. He's now the guy, and he's like, so he doesn't have to relive that because you know he got picked on at school. You, Absolutely. you can't have a name Jack with crotch in it and just slide through elementary school with no issues, especially if there's any kids like us around. So, Do you think that's what happened to Anthony uh, Weiner? Same thing. Yeah. Oh, Anthony? Yeah. And, 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 but um, Anthony took it the other way. He embraced it. He went with it. <laughs> he did. He did. Jack didn't feel that way. So Jack erased his parents. He erased any trace well, of any white lineage that could ever recreate that name. So listen to this, uh, guys. Tyrese has got this great tour. When's your next big? When's your next big event? Uh, well, you got to check my my next one. I just fi- oh, you know what? Let me start because your the wife past. books everything. Yeah, Ingrid, my wife books all my shows, which is awesome because we deal with um, a little bit of uh, oh, I don't know. You know, we get you know it's funny. So when Arena is like, no, we don't want a, a Tyrus there or something like that, which uh, uh-huh. we always book the next arena right next to it and then sell out, which happened. And we were in we were going to do a show in Boston, and there and the the. The woke, triggered uh, person on the phone was bringing up all her issues, and I said, hang up. Find the closest one next to him. We did Andover, which was a 1,500-seat arena, sold right. out, packed, standing room only. Wow. And then the Ooh. other venue calls and goes, hey, can we get you in next month? No, I'm sorry. I'm booked. Now, where do we go to find this out? Go to my go to my Twitter account. or Yeah, my Twitter account's the easiest way, and just click on my link tree for all the dates. And Outkick? And Outkick, you'll see it on the wall. And then, of course, you check out my book, Nuff Said. We got it all in there. All plugs in there. And, hey. Uh, don't forget. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.